Uh, I'm going to pray. We'll start. Uh, God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy as I come before you each and every week. And I'm just in awe at the things that you do for us and the love that you pour out upon us and how gentle you are with us, but yet firm with us and, and how much you love us and you love us to us so much that you don't want us to stay where we are and you always want us to get us to move closer towards you and be more intimate with you and it's your desire to call us and to woo us and we just want to want to thank you lord we want to recognize that as we come off of last weekend and celebrating uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, I just pray we live the resurrection every single day. That it's not just a Sunday in the year, but it's, but it's every day. It's every day that we would walk in that forgiveness and that, uh, that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that, that joy would be in our hearts and on our lips as we would share the gospel with others. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight my rock and my savior. Take a message. Uh, I'll be with them in a moment. Amen. Amen. All right. So two weeks ago, uh, we kind of got off of John for the, for the Easter, um, Easter Sunday. So two weeks ago, we kind of finished up this section from the first letter of John where he kind of, he's putting the rubber to the road and, and he's speaking about, he's speaking about what the interior transformation of the Holy Spirit looks like on the outside. So the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. We begin to surrender to the work of the Spirit. And then we change. He changes us from the inside. And that inside change has, has, has affects us in the way we live our life. And so that's what John has been kind of laying down, these things, right? So what does the interior transformation look like on the outside? Well, it's this passion for knowing God, and it's an obedience to his word. It's about loving the brothers and the sisters in the church and, and of the faith. And it's also about not loving the world or the things in the world, or not getting all caught up in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And we, we talked about that pretty extensively um, about two weeks ago. Now, I, I, must, I have to reiterate this over and over again. Because when we begin to talk about behaviors, when we begin to talk about living in a certain way, the danger is we can get caught up into this thing, which one of my favorite pastors calls behavior modification. Where it's your job to get it right, clean yourself up, and start living the right way. Then Jesus is going to accept you. And, and, and see, that, that doesn't work. You can try and try and try and try. And I will guarantee you, you might have little glimpses of success, but ultimately, you will fail. Because it's the work of the Spirit in you that changes you. And then as you change from the inside, your behavior changes on the outside. And we have to really understand that, especially when we're in the Scriptures. And they're talking about things like loving the brothers and the sisters. Because I laugh and say, have you met the people I go to church with? I mean, you know. And so we have to wrestle with those things. But it's the work of the Spirit of God in us that changes us. And then changes us on the outside. And we have to continually understand that. It is only by his power, by his grace, by his anointing that we are able to live in the rhythms and the harmonies that God calls us to. Now, another thing we want to remember about the letter of John. John is, he's a pastor. And he writes this letter to the church. 
Because he loves the church and he loves the people and he wants the church to understand that there is this amazing gift that's being offered to people. And that amazing gift is that we can be in a very deep, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have this intimate, deep relationship with God in the midst of a messy, broken world. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the gospel. And he was giving us examples of what that looks like because we're being transformed. Remember, God is working in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And so he's transforming us on the inside. What does that look like on the outside? And he will continue to kind of flesh this whole idea out. Is God the priority in your life? Or is faith just a Sunday morning hobby for you? See, if faith has just become a hobby or a Sunday morning, yeah, you know, I'm doing my time, then you are not going to see the transformation of the Holy Spirit until there's a place in your heart of surrender going, I can't do this anymore. God loves our weakness because in our weakness, he is made strong. But John's not just going to leave it on this interior life of us because he's been talking about these interior, and I keep coming back to this, this, this phrase, the interior posture of our heart. He's, he's going to take it um, now on the outside because on the outside, there are things that are trying to get at us. There are things that are trying to pull us down. Now remember, he's talking to the church. He's writing to the church. And what he's going to say is, guess what, church? There are things that can be right in this community within these walls that, that are dangerous, that are destructive, that are hurtful. And they can come from right within, right within, inside here. We always, we always, want, to, we always want to, sometimes want to hole up in our safety of the church community because we don't want to be out there where it's dangerous. But there could be danger lurking right in here in the church. And I'm talking church, capital C, churches everywhere. It's, it's the, the larger community. There are things that can cause trouble. And so, yes, as individuals, we have to become very aware of what's in our heart, what's the posture of our heart and soul. But as a community, we need to be aware that there are things that can happen in a church that can run very counter to the truth of the gospel. That are very, very dangerous attitudes of even other people that are dangerous right here in the church. There is an enemy outside of us that wants nothing more than to attack the church and destroy it. So let's, let's, let's get into the texts. We put the, ah, we'll fit the whole thing. Awesome. And I'm just going to read it from my Bible because I'm going to get a crick in my neck. This is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 28. It reads this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And, you, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that you, I'm sorry, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This is 1 John two eighteen through 28. Now we have to take this whole text, all these 10 verses as a whole, because they all follow a very continuous thread. But in order to unpack it all, we're going to have to break it up. And we're going to have to break it up into sections. And so this week, I just want to set the tone. I want to kind of introduce uh, what's going on here, the major theme. And then we're actually going to spend about two or three more weeks kind of digging into these verses and, and figuring out and unpacking what John is trying to say. But if you see in verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. There are people that are in the church, in this church, and maybe in even other churches today that want us to believe something other than the truth of the gospel. And they will present that in such a way that it sounds good. And, and maybe it makes a little bit of sense. If, and, and, and wow, that, that almost sounds familiar. Or that sounds like it could be true. And that's the way they're going to present it. But it runs contrary to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the gospel. Now, I don't want to sound get all freaky on you here and sound real freaky, but, but I'm going to. There is a power, and I said this already, there is a power that wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And if it cannot destroy it, it, will, it wants to render it useless, irrelevant in the world for the kingdom of God. Which I think is a destruction much, much worse. There is a power that is coming against us. And many, many churches fall prey to it. I think the statistic is in the United States every year, something like 3,000 churches every year close their doors. For many different reasons. 3,000 churches close their doors. No church is immune to it, including this one. We are not immune to it. And so this is kind of the focus of the letter. Now, John's going to break this all down in a very Johnian way. And he's going to weave things and he's going to you know, run around. It's going to circular motion type stuff like we talked about in the beginning. But I believe that there's a few verses in here that are a very good introduction verses for us as we begin our journey through it. So Steve, can you put the next slide up? And, and these are the verses I want to focus on this morning. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. 
This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And then verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then he's going to kind of, he's going to kind of break down some other verses that we're going to look at about anointing in the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to talk about how we can deal with this thing that, that's happening or, or in, in the church. But see, we need to continually remember Always remember that the attack that we are experiencing, will experience, will continue to experience is a spiritual attack. And a spiritual attack will manifest itself in the physical. There is a clear and present danger to the church. There is a clear and present danger to the church, but we have been empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to discern that danger, to understand that danger, and to stand against it, to come against it so we do not suffer the consequence of it. That is what John will also talk about in here, and we're going to kind of get to that maybe in a week or two. Now, this... This... uh, sentiment here that he's writing about uh, people who deny, people who are a liar, uh, the Antichrist, people who have gone out from us, but they don't really belong to us. We see this over and over again in the New Testament. Second Peter talks about it in chapter 2, where he talks about false teachers and false prophets. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about this idea of putting on the full armor of God so that we can come against the devil's schemes. Because remember that we are not in a physical fight. We are in a spiritual one. And you're going to hear me say this over and over again for the next few weeks because this is a no-joke deal. We are in a spiritual battle. We come against we come against spiritual powers of this dark world and we come against forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Are you tracking with me? And so that doofus that aggravates you and that doesn't talk and, and just talks down about Jesus Christ, it's a spiritual battle that rages on inside of that person. And we need to come against that spiritual battle in a spiritual way. Not with a point in the eye in the name of Jesus. What I mean, that would be cool if you did, but... <laughs> Lost my place. And so he begins, dear children, this is the last hour. And the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. John is writing to a people who are under attack in the church. And we've kind of fleshed that all out in the beginning. And these people have become discouraged in their faith. They feel like they're missing something. Like these people have brought this teaching and like, I I haven't had that. Am I missing something? It seems that the church is is turned into a very messy place. And there's people there that have their own agenda. And they're they're talking about the things that they want to talk about. And I'm just so happy that church today doesn't have that problem anymore. 
And so, and so it's important for us to understand and it's important for us to know how to discern what's really happening because we have to get a hold of this. We cannot be the ostrich church that buries our head in the sand and just hopes that everything is going to go okay and we just don't have to deal with anything because like that old saying says, the devil's in the choir box. The devil's in the choir box. It's a spiritual battle. So I want to break this down a little bit. John throws out this phrase here. He says... This is the last hour. And then he, and then he comes on and he says uh, again, um, this is how we know it is the last hour. Many, many people have wrestled over what this means and, and, and how that we could kind of figure it out. And in the New Testament, we see it over and again, the last hour, the last days, end times. We hear it. Um, we hear it very often as we read the scriptures in the book of Hebrews. It says that God speaks to us in these last days by his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very steady theme. And so we need to get a hold of this. We need to understand what it means. Now, unfortunately, there are many schools of thought today that will say that the writers of the New Testament had a misunderstanding of when Jesus was going to come back. And so really John has kind of made a mistake here as he was writing this. And what they'll say is that they thought that Jesus was going to come back in their own generation. And so what John is saying is, listen, church, you only got a little while, so hang in there. I mean, because it's coming to an end, and so don't worry about it. And, and, and so the writer has it wrong, and so we interpret it as the writer has it wrong. But I cannot buy into that philosophy. I cannot, because that would mean that the writers of the Bible wrote something wrong. And here's why I can't buy that either, because the words in this book are the inspired word of God, and God doesn't get it wrong. God doesn't make a mistake. He didn't mess up. And so if God is not wrong, then maybe we or those schools of thought have taken it wrong. And so we really need to understand what's going on. And I think that whole, well, they were wrong about it and they messed up is just too much of a a simple, easy interpretation. And in fact, the New Testament speaks against that very thing. It speaks in 2 Thessalonians. Paul said, don't be deceived. It's not coming to an end until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And so certain things have to take place. Certain things have to happen. And, and John didn't miss the boat. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. God is not going to get it wrong. And so here's kind of where I, I fall into this whole Here's where I land in, this, in these ideas. Um, as I've studied the scriptures and if I, as I've studied people who are much smarter than me. From the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead until the day he comes back, which we, we don't know when he will be back. From the moment he rose from the dead to the day he comes back, we are in the end times. We are in the last days. We are in the last hours. And I do believe if you, if you really study the scriptures, if you really dig in yourself, this is the doctrine that the scriptures will teach us. This is how it fleshes itself out. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers talks about, they talk about the present age and then the age to come. And the age to come for them was the messianic age when Messiah would come. Church, the Messiah has come and he's going to come back again. But the Messiah has come, so we are in that messianic age. 
And so last days, we are in the last days. We just don't know when they're going to end. That's where I land in all of this. Because I do not believe the Bible is wrong. Now, I think there's another important phrase that we have to get a hold of in this, in this introduction also. It's this word antichrist. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. And then, verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Now, John is the only writer in the New Testament that actually uses that term, Antichrist. But we see it, uh, we see the idea of that over and over again. Again, in, in 2 Thessalonians and Daniel chapter 7 through 11, we see it in Revelations 13. They're talking about this, this entity that is going to come against the church in a big and powerful way. So it's important that we get this. It's important that, that we understand this. Who is John speaking of? What is he speaking of? And the thing that really kind of grabs my attention is, you've heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, if they were then, are they here with us now? Do we have this spirit at work now? now so, so John is writing this futuristic thing, okay? You've heard he's coming, and then there's a present moment. But, he, but there's also many of, us, many of them here now. Now, I, I want to just kind of briefly touch about this whole, uh, the, the futuristic Antichrist Armageddon, that, that whole thing that, that we as the church kind of get caught up into. There has been volumes and volumes of books written about it. I mean, every side of the coin. And it's very, very difficult to come to a, a consensus within Christianity as to what it all means. Prophecy is very, very difficult to interpret. Now, I, I want to say this, and, and I could be wrong. Uh, but this is just what I, what, I, what I really feel, that when people kind of hunker down and become very dogmatic about their interpretation of the prophetic, and no one else is right, no one else can be right, this is the way it is, I think that does way more harm than good for people. And so we have to be careful. I, I think there's, a, there's an ignorance or even, even an arrogance there. And, but in saying that, we can't gloss over texts like this. We can't gloss over this, this idea of Antichrist and, and there's many in the world and there's, and there's one coming. But I think we have to come at it in all humility. We have to come at it with a, with a sacred reverence and, 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 and treat it with, with caution. Because scholars have wrestled with this for years and years and years. And they understand the difficulty of it is to come to a place of fully understanding it. And I don't think we will ever fully understand it. So I don't want to be dogmatic in our approach, which means that what I'm going to teach you is the exact fact about the prophetic, which I'm not going to teach you anything about the prophetic. But what I want to do is I want to look at a few views that have been out there about this future of the Antichrist coming. After John writes this letter some years after, what developed in the early church was that the Antichrist was going to be a Jewish person who would rise to power. And this Jewish person would rise to power, uh, probably politically, and then they would 
um, they would have all of these supernatural powers. They were going to do miracles. They would claim that they were the Messiah. And then they would persecute the church. Well, years, as, as that kind of went for years and years, the Catholic Church gets a hold of this idea around the Middle Ages and, and kind of drops the Jewish part of it, but says that there is going to be a person that is going to rise to worldly power, have those supernatural powers, and that they are going to, um, they're going to come against the church, establish themselves, come against the church, persecute the church, but when Jesus comes back, he's going to kill this person and everything will be better. Now, we've picked on, um, you know, we've picked on the Jews. We picked on the Catholics. Now we've got to pick on ourselves, the Protestants, because the Reformers weren't much better in their theology. Because they thought that the Antichrist was going to be the Catholic Church. And especially the, the, the papal office. The Pope was the Antichrist. Because the term Antichrist, the, the, this, this person had to rise up from within the church. And this was going to be a little bit more of a subtle takeover. But because what, the, what this Antichrist was going to do is replace Jesus and, and be worshipped instead of Jesus. But it was going to be kind of done slowly and, and carefully and methodically. But what I find funny in all this is humanity from the beginning has always played the blame game with different people groups. It's their fault. No, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. And we, Protestant evangelicals, we fall into, into the same thing. These, some of these, these theories, they're still alive and well today. Still alive and well today. So what are we to believe? What are we able to discern about all of this? Well, I can probably say this about the Antichrist, that it is going to come in the name of Christianity. It's going to come proclaiming something in the line of Christian faith, but it will be opposed to the kingdom of God. It's going to be opposed to the truth of what the gospel is. See, if we go to the next slide. We don't have a next slide. Never mind, keep it here. Because in verse... In verse 19, this is what John writes. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They claimed to be Christian. They probably were teachers within the church. They taught church doctrine. But something happened, and they began to teach what they wanted to teach. They began to reinterpret the truth of the gospel. And then they decided to walk away. And then decided to go and teach this new truth to people that might hear them and listen to them and begin to believe. They were trying to sway the church into believing what they had to say. And so the very faith they say that they held is the very faith that they were actually trying to destroy. It's a false doctrine. And I think there's a few other things that we can kind of be relatively sure about. Not in a dogmatic way, but just in an exegetical way as we kind of pick through the verses. We know that through these scriptures that the Antichrist was already at work in John's day. It, many have come that he said. And I believe that we can say that there is going to be one 
as you, as you look through the entire scripture, there's going to be one that's going to be the big one. The head honcho that's going to come with such a terrible power performing miracles that will almost deceive the faithful if God did not cut those days short. But there are many that are still active and working today. And so our reality is this, that from the beginning of the church to today, and from today till the end, there is an evil power that is working against the church, and not only working against the church, but there can be an evil power that is working within the church. Because remember, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We are fighting against the spiritual darkness that is in this world. And the writers of the New Testament, as they wrote to these people, as they wrote to these churches, they come back to this theme of that there is something after us. Now, I don't want people to have nightmares, but we got to be aware because I don't think we take this serious enough. I really don't. Because we're just all like, well, see, you know, oh, tip the two lips. Man, there is somebody that if they can't damn you to hell, they want to make your life miserable in the name of Jesus. That you would live ineffective, joyless Head down and not walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's coming after each one of you. And you got to be aware of it. So within, within big church, universal church, there is a power that can represent itself in the name of Jesus, but yet deny that Jesus is the Christ. And that is the essence of the Antichrist, that they would deny that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist living in them. And John is writing to these people because that's what's taking place in the church. And we kind of we fleshed that out a bunch of weeks ago. That they had all these crazy ideas of who Jesus was. That first he was just a man. That when he was baptized, the spirit of the Lord came into him. But then on the cross, it wasn't really that God that died. The spirit left him and it was just the man Jesus that died again. And so all these weird, crazy things that they began to cheat, teach. They began to deny that Jesus is the Messiah. That is the spirit of the Antichrist at work. So the denial of Jesus as God hanging on the cross dying for our sins the denial of that truth is the lie of the antichrist and I will add this the denial that Jesus is fully man who walked this earth and fully God is that denial of that truth is the work of the antichrist are are you following me and so we want to just have this big spiritual scary fangs and dragons with seven heads and 19 eyes type of thing and but it's 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 much simpler and much more dangerous than all of that any any um moving away from those truths is not the spirit of the Lord. Now you can see how this all plays out even in today. Jesus, Jesus is, is he, he's one of those ways. You know, he's one of those truths that, that you know, we can just kind of add to my mishmash of truth and I can live a, a good life. He, he's, he's, one of those, he's one of those good teachings. He was a moral guy. He, he showed us how to love each other. 
You know, he, he was, he was, he was just, he, he was, he was the man, you know, and, and he, and, and he, and he taught us really great moral things, but to deny that he is God is the power of the Antichrist. Jesus is not just a good teaching to add to many other teachings. Jesus is not one of the combos on the combo platter of spirituality. He is the truth and the life and the only way. I know this is kind of difficult sometimes to hear. Um, One of the reasons I teach through the books of the Bible like this is because it forces me to teach on things that are difficult to hear. And difficult to teach. But I can't shy away from the truth of what the Bible teaches. Now I want to talk about my position on the debate of are the times ending soon. Because I just want to make sure you understand where I come from and all this. I never enter that debate. Or is it coming? Is it ending soon? Is it ending tomorrow? 2020? 2012? I'm not, I'm not convinced for centuries, people have said, it's ending soon, it's coming soon, and then not so much. Every generation has the capability to say, has the reason to say that, man, it has hit the fan and Jesus must be coming soon. They have the right to say that because the world is a messed up place. It's a messed up place, but it always has been. It's always been under the power of the evil one. It's a messed up place. And so I don't even enter into when because nobody knows when. I mean, I hope he doesn't come back until at least I get my new Harley someday. Because him and I will have words. I might be in the hallway for a while or in timeout, but but here's what I want to be certain of as we kind of end this introduction. Church, there's an evil power at work. And it's coming against the followers of Jesus Christ. It was working in that day, and it's working, it's working today. And we as a church, we need to be aware of it. We need to understand it. We need to be on our guard, and we need to understand the truth of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand the truth of the gospel, or we will be in danger of being led astray. We will be in danger of being led astray unless we plant our feet firmly on the gospel, firmly on the truth, firmly on who Christ was. Fully man, fully God, crucified for our sin on the cross, paid the price, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the simple truth of the gospel. We have to be firm in that because anything else, anything else is from the Antichrist. And we can be led astray. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack the rest of this. There's so much going on in here. Um, And so I'm just going to kind of end it there. Uh, I love you guys. Have a great rest of your day today. And we'll see you next week. Peace.